0: On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Brian Cranston, and you're listening to the Pantheon Network.
1: Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Season 6, Episode 13 of Music Is Not A Genre, I messed it up this time. You know, you can be out of practice, especially when I'm, you know, batch cooking episodes here. I take some weeks off from recording. Thank you, as always, for watching and listening, which, uh, again, uh, listening, stream it anywhere. Uh, Watching, youtube.com slash app music is not a genre. There's a video for every single episode uh and let's get let's get right to it this week's topic is uh, my thirty first first installment of the subseries "Music is Everything," and I don't do these as much anymore because a lot of what I do now is sort of folded together. But what that is is my opinion pieces. So it's me positing an uh, like an opinion, a theory, and then giving you evidence or backing it up or whatever, and hopefully opening up a conversation as to why you may agree or disagree. So it's like an opinion piece, essentially. And so it's music is everything number 31. There's no such thing as a heyday. So my hope here is that I immediately start some kind of a, a, a healthy argument. Because th- th- this is why I'm doing this. <sighs> as a as both a musician, uh, but even more so as a listener, as a fan, it always gets me... And honestly, I will say this. Even I'll say this because music is not a genre. It doesn't just mean uh, the types of music should shouldn't be confined to genres. Blah blah blah. It means that the world of music shouldn't be separated from the rest of the world. I've said that before, and I mean it. So I'm going to get into something right here, which is that it's often true that 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 people's uh, attitudes are pervasive across many different topics it's not always true you can vary you can be you know voracious about one thing and up on one thing but not on another but i i find often that people who have i won't even say no desire i would say people who have an an aversion to to music after a certain period often follow that same Attack when it comes to other issues, social issues, political issues. And so this has become kind of a recurring theme in Music Is Not a Genre that has popped up in certain episodes and, and maybe a little bit in every episode. And I felt it deserved a full episode on its own, which is that there are... <sighs> You're living now, and I've said this before. Whatever time this is that you're watching or listening to this, this is the only present. Present, honestly, it's kind of hard to define what present is because as soon as you say it, it's gone, and the future isn't here yet, whatever. The the past is wonderful. It's got amazing memories. It's got amazing output of things that we know and love, and you should never dismiss it or discount it. In fact, you should be able to know it as well as possible and learn from it in more ways than one. But if you have shut off that valve in you of learning, of, of, of trying to uh, uh, being open to absorbing things in the world, whether it's music or anything else, then you're then to me, you're not fully living, you know, unless you have close close to yourself in the woods away from all media and technology and you're or you're a monk of some sort and that's your whole idea is to be a, an ascetic and you don't want to that like that's a whole different thing that's a conscious choice but if you're making kind of this passive lazy choice to just be like i ah, stop listening about blah, blah. and i'm not talking about people of a certain age i'm talking about people of almost any age beyond your 20s really Uh, And even some people in their 20s who just say, oh yeah, music after X, I just, I don't know. Okay, fine. It's no big deal. You're still probably going to have a great life in one way or another and people will love you. But I'm telling you, you're missing out on a lot. And one of the ways that happens is by people assuming that an artist had a heyday. And I'm going to go through some things about that as we get into it. But this is why I'm laying this out. And what gets what gets me there is this is what's happening right now, and has happened, you know, time immemorial. But you know, we we are aware of it now because we're living now, and there's the internet. And that is that everybody wants everything to be simple. Everybody wants the answers to be simple. Everybody wants everything to have a story that's easily understood. And whether it's a political or social issue or an artistic issue, that is rarely true. Rarely true. And what you're missing out on are the deeper truth and the the fuller truth of anything, of whatever that is. And when you're talking about an artist, uh, a music artist, to assume that an artist's so-called heyday is the only time when it was valuable to listen to them or where they were doing good work or where they had any kind of an artistic impact or cultural impact is it's facile. It's lazy. And it is, it is a choice. I find that again can pervade so many other things. And we're you know whether you're talking about, uh, you know, whatever current conflict is happening while you're listening to this or watching this, if your idea of the answer to that conflict is to pick a side then you are falling prey to the upper the upper surface of media reportage. When you, you can dig deeper and find that it's a complex issue, that that the issue might have more to do with um, you know, nationalism or or countries taking, you know, power away from their citizens or too much money and power in the hands of too few or whatever. Then you realize that it's not about taking sides. That that in 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 many ways, in almost every way, people below the one percent are all kind of on the same side, or should be, and although we're not. And when it comes to uh, music, I'm gonna what I'm gonna do is lay out with just a handful of genres and artists what we think of as that heyday for each of those and show how that's not true and show how there's more to the story behind what we assume. Uh, I just read this article that there was some uh, installation in a school, I believe is a high school, where uh, it was all stuff about prints. And it was this person's objective to teach uh, the students about Prince because they are young enough to maybe not have heard much or any of Prince or even know who Prince is, especially now that Prince is dead and not in the media and whatever, and to, to educate in that way, but, but also to show that there were things beyond, things that went beyond Kiss and uh, Purple Rain and, you know, Diamonds and Pearls and all that other stuff. And that's kind of what this episode is about. I want to generate curiosity in you to look beyond what we're told, to look beyond the conventional wisdom, the story that you might find in, you know, even in Wikipedia or behind the music or wherever it is saying, oh, this is when the artist did their only, you know, uh, valuable work or whatever, whatever it is. So that you can respect the artist's full scope of work and effort. Because I'll say this, I've bumped into a lot of fans, so-called fans of artists who are only fans of a certain period. Now, yes, you're a fan of that music, but you're not a fan of that artist. I'm going to lay it out point blank. If you are a fan of an artist, you at least at the base respect everything they do and try to expose yourself to everything they do. I have said, I'm not a real Duran Duran fan. Why? Why? because I had to catch up on 80 85% of the of what it was that they did. But now I sort of am because I respect everything they they've done even though I may not love all of it. Honestly, I'm a gigantic, you know, U2 fan, but there have been times where a new album comes out and maybe it takes me a while to get into or maybe I'm like, uh, ah, you know, but 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 yet there's always something good on every album and I respect the work. I respect the artist that's a true fan. You know, I am not a true Van Halen fan. I'm not. Why? Because anything they did after David Lee Roth, uh, you know, left, I'm not interested in. I respect it. I respect the work that went behind it, but I can tell you I'm not a real fan. I happen to really enjoy a lot of what they did in the late 70s and early 80s. Doesn't make me a real, makes me a fan of the music, not necessarily of the artists. So I'm saying if you're saying, if you're claiming that you are a fan of an artist, but you think their only valuable work was one period, either a heyday, or if you're a contrarian, oh no, it was the period that 10 years after their heyday when they really got into it, then you're not a fan of the artist. You're a fan of that particular sphere of music, and I love that, but you're not a fan of the artist. And I'm showing how commerce and media can lull us into these mindsets and into not exploring further. And how am I doing it? Yes, I'm using the select bands and genres that I know, that I've done the chronography for, which is my way of saying listening to a catalog, of, you know, uh, back to front in order. And I'm going to use five criteria for determining if there was a heyday or not. And I'm going to show you that most, if not all, artists and genres have never had a complete heyday. Disclaimer being, uh, yeah, this is all subjective. I mean, I'm back backing it up with a lot of research and information, but it's still subjective. And there may be artists I'm missing for whom all five criteria merged, and that was their only heyday, and that's it. Now, that may be the case when it comes to lesser, like, I don't know, artists who were only around for two years, of course, right? But then again, even for those, as I when I get to the conclusions, I'll explain why that may not even be true. But either way, I challenge you to find uh, exceptions to my rules. Uh, and yeah, this is a bit of hyperbole, and it's a little bit of magic. You know, I'm using, uh, I'm really kind of nitpicking here with the criteria, and and but I'm doing that on, on purpose. I think it's valid because it shows how much we're missing out on. That isn't part of the conventional story. And before I get into the meat here, uh, that was an intro, believe it or not, 10-minute intro. The bonus episode for this uh, on patreon.com slash YouTube. uh, Yeah, patreon.com slash music is not a genre is called The Outlier Single. So The Outlier Single Phenomenon. I'm going to point out singles from artists who were well past their media prime, let's say, or their sales prime, that went to the top of the charts in in one way or another, came long after their, their dominance. Uh, and not because they were reused in a TV show or movie, although that's valid, too, and I think that's awesome. That's what the bonus episode is on patreon.com slash music is not a genre. So...
2: I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. (laughs) Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to Factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's Factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts.
1: To get to the, to the body here, the definition of heyday that I found online is the period of a person's or thing's greatest success, popularity, or vigor, which already is vague. What determines success, popularity, or vigor? So many factors. I think that my five criteria really kind of fall into that. That's why I came up with it, because to assume that a heyday is defined by only one or a couple of things is why we miss out on so much. So my five criteria, I've used four of these before. I used three of them in one episode. I added a fourth one when I was talking to Steve Erickson, and then I added a fifth for this because it is, uh, it, it, it's important to consider all five of these. Number one is creativity. It's always number one in my book. When the artist was at their peak of creative powers. So if we're going to talk about mini heydays, they're heyday of creative powers. Or that's when the genre, if I talk about a genre, was the most expansive and exploratory and, and accessible. It was it was when all these things creatively merged for a genre. Number two, charm. All these start with C, by the way. It's fun, right? How popular and well-loved an artist is, regardless of sales, regardless of critical acclaim, they might have had a cult following or a core following. They might have a large or a rabbit following or a world following, but this is just about their popularity and, and how, how people loved them. Number three, commerce. Sales numbers. Uh, their income. Uh, airplay. Streaming. Were their mo- songs in commercials or movies? That's that's commerce. <clears throat> Number four, Caravan. I had to search for a C for this one. How successful were they at touring? How much money did they make at touring? How many fans did they get out to their shows at touring? Regardless of what they were doing at the time for recording or regardless of any airplay presence, regardless of even their creative level at the point. And number five, critique: uh, Were they getting great reviews? When was their period when they were getting the best reviews across the board? When were they a critical darling? Which doesn't always happen uh, contemporaneously. It could happen after the fact, and often often, often does, especially for artists ahead of their time. So getting into the list, the examples of genres and artists, a couple of things here. I'm going to exclude bands that had an artist that have multiple areas, eras of success. Or who are permanently successful? Or, you know, they're just part of the the pantheon of of you know music gods because it's too obvious. It, they, they, you know, of course they didn't have a heyday, you know. And they include Bowie, Genesis, Yes, Van Halen, Green Day, Weezer, Chili Peppers, Foo Fighters, Cool and the Gang, and, and so many uh, you know other artists like that. Prince, MJ, The Beatles, The Rolling Stones, Chicago, U uh, two. Beastie Boys, Billy Joel, Elton John, Bruce, Madonna, Beyoncé, Dolly Parton, Willie Nelson, Dylan, and I can name uh, hundreds of others that have that have you know entered into the the you know the god or demigod realm of musicians that of course you know they didn't have a heyday Elvis did I not say Elvis yeah but that's another one. Uh oh and here's why I'm ex- also excluding artists whose death propelled them to even greater heights. Because, duh, you know, now they are also part of the pantheon. Elvis, uh, Tupac and Biggie, whose careers were tragically short. Nirvana, also tragically short. Uh, See My Death is Dumb series. Most of the artists on that uh, in that series would be on this list. So there's some exclusions here, and for good reason, because it's too easy. And it doesn't really help me make my point. Uh, so starting with making the point, I'm going to do jo- genres first and just a few. Uh, If you want to get a more comprehensive talk about uh, when genres had certain peaks, let's say, you should check out my Decade Slam episode from last season, from season five. Just look up Music is Not a Genre, Decade Slam. And I go through each decade, uh, major genres of music, when they were at their creative peak or peak in general, when most of these criteria merged. And again, it was never all, but when most of them merged. It's kind of a cool episode for that reason uh for this i'm going to exclude uh uh hip-hop and i'm actually excluding a lot of uh, genres country and whatever uh in both of those cases because they've grown exponentially exponentially since they've been around and are just kind of ubiquitous in the culture now and so you know heyday is sort of is always a subjective discussion but in this case there's really no way to define it because if a genre is in a Period of growth and a sustained period of growth even with lulls here and there then you can't look back on it and say when was the heyday because the heyday is f- for you anyway whatever your favorite period was uh i'm ex- and I, and in that vein i'm excluding rock why because rock and roll is dead every few years and then it revives every few years and so that's super subjective and this is part of the thing and i'll, I'll be up front um half italian so I'm passionate, I'm half Hungarian, so I won't tell you that I'm passionate, but I'm going to tell you now, and that is that I can get angry. And I get really uh, frustrated and angry at, at, at people on forums who say that there's no good rock and roll being made right now, or pick a genre. But specifically that, why? Because rock tends to you know attract a lot of meathead white dudes who think that the greatest period of rock was Led Zeppelin, or the 60s, or... 80s or 90s or whatever all those periods are amazing but to me whatever favorites you might have the greatest period of every genre is when it's being created which is right now because that means it's still alive and it's not just alive with amazing older crew of musicians who've been doing it for years and decades it's alive with people in their teens and 20s who have just started to create music so I'm excluding that. So here's some examples of, of of showing you how these genres didn't really have a heyday. Punk, punk had its kind of proto origins in the 50s and 60s with the kind of simple, loose, uh, you know, dirty garage rock kind of thing. Chord structures simple, etc. Punk pioneers really came uh, of age and into the fore in the media in the 70s. It went underground in the 80s and started to expand to a lot of subgenres, post-punk and straight edge and all that stuff. It became mainstream in the 90s with bands like Green Day and The Offspring. Uh, And then it became straight up pop in the 2000s with, you know, Fallout Boy and stuff like that. There's now a current revival of punk from uh, quadrants uh, less heard from, uh, uh, non-binary people and women and people of color, etc. Now, here's what I say about this. We can revere 1970s punk all we want, but very few people did at the time. You know, it showed in poor sales, non-existent sales very few positive reviews there were a lot of musicians who didn't like it it was well loved by core fans but by hardly anybody else and few bands from that era made any real touring money all that stuff would come later 1980 saw a little more critical acclaim because of the expansiveness of punk and post punk and then there go there you go creative expansion 1990 saw more sales expansion and certainly more touring money and the 2000s more popularity overall more ubiquity and building on all the previous so you tell me which one of those was an actual heyday you know was it when you when i am claiming that the greatest creative period was the 80s whether or not it's true the pioneers wouldn't punk wouldn't exist without them so was it the 70s was it the 90s because you love green day and, and offspring and bands like that you know and even some of the grunge bands were punky or was it the 2000s when everybody knew what that kind of music was because it was pop punk metal uh metal music again, proto-1960s metal, uh, pioneers in the, in the 70s, really. It became mainstream in the 80s and was much more underground and alt in the 90s and the 2000s. There have been some retro revivals and new adopters from the 2010s to the present. Again, a lot of young bands. So 1970s, it was creatively expanding. It had core followers, but it wasn't like blowing away the world. 1980s, it was hugely popular. You had glam metal and hair metal. You had, tour, you know, a lot of touring, a lot of a lot of you know, charting on the radio and on MTV and all that stuff. It, I think there were ways in in which that particular kind of metal was not as creatively expansive, and it certainly wasn't as critically acclaimed. But there were other bands at the time doing that. Nineteen nineties got more into creativity in terms of which bands were popular metal wise they were considered more creative they were getting more critical acclaim they had more solid sales and touring at that point metal was just a part of the world but not as popular on the charts so again you the question being when did metal have its heyday i'm gonna i'll pause there and have you answer put a comment down there My my argument is it didn't and if you listen to certain bands now, which I wish I could put, wrote down their names, and I mean people in their teens and twenties doing metal that's as metal and hard as any other thing else, and it might you know add other you know flavors of other music in there, but that's what metal's always done. Uh, you you then may also agree that it has not had a heyday. Emo, well, depends on your definition. I did a whole episode on emo. Uh, proto emo in the 70s and 80s of course uh, the Cure and bands like that and the Smiths first wave of emo in the 90s Sunny Day Real Estate hits the pop charts in the 2000s with Jimmy World and Dashboard Confessional and all the bands like that and it got even poppier after that and it's been everywhere in some form since there is emo hip hop there's emo pop I mean Billie Eilish may you know is 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 you know may not call herself emo because they do a you know, somewhat eclectic but they're definitely influenced by it uh, the 19 19- 90s to me were a highly creative period. Uh, emo and 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 they were critically acclaimed in many ways. They had some core followers, but very little money. 2000s became more popular, more charts, more money. But uh, you know, it's in terms of creativity, that creativity kind of branched off into other kinds of music. So again. Maybe most heyday is now. Maybe it's never had one. EDM, proto EDM in the 1970s, electronic dance music, underground mostly in the 1980s, uh, expansion and more underground in the 90s, uh, the, hits the charts more in the 20s and 20, uh, 2000s and 2010s and now. Uh, in the 70s it had some cult and niche followers and uh, certainly artists um you know who were being influenced by craftwork and noise and people who were doing electronic stuff. Uh in the in the 80s mostly in dance clubs, mostly for DJs, mostly underground, mostly um LGBTQ and all of that stuff. Handful of hits for sure and it influenced 80s pop, but it wasn't necessarily the pop, but hugely creative and influential both decades of 70s and 80s saw variations of uh, critical acclaim some some yes some no 1990s it got a bigger cult following you had raves and you had all the the you know it was way more dance and and the djs were becoming superstars and stuff like that a growing underground influence and other artists started to incorporate that music much more creative expansion i think as well and the 2000s and beyond sales and popularity and all of that stuff just blew just blew out of the water to the point where now the majority of what we hear anywhere is either edm or influenced by edm so again you know i was dj in the 80s uh and a little bit in the 90s and i went to clubs in those decades I really enjoy some of that music and not so much others. I found when people like Fatboy Slim in the 90s or Skrillex later on, people I really, really, really enjoy, all that comes from all different eras. Was there a heyday for EDM? I don't know. Uh, What I do know is this is the perfect time to take a break. So uh, we just finished up with the genres examples. I'm going to get into some artist examples, just a handful, and then ask you some questions. And of course, the featured song and talk about the bonus episode right after the normal message break that I do for every episode. Talk to you in a bit. Hey, so I was going to do the usual and just list all of the links that I'd love for you to check out but I realize that everything you need to know and everywhere you need to go is at nickdomadio.com that really is the hub I list all the links in every episode just in case but nickdomadio.com is where I put everything that I do if you want to know more about this podcast whether it's the audio version or the YouTube version at a youtube.com slash app music is not a genre or wherever else the podcast shows up or if you want to support the podcast at patreon.com Slash music is not a genre. Just go to nickdemadio.com. It's all there. If you want to check out my full discography of original music and covers for my band Wreck, REC, and beyond, it's at com, including all the streaming and social links for wherever you listen to music and wherever you check out your social. Uh, my acting clips are there. My voiceover clips are there. Graphic design, my blog, and most especially, it's the best place to contact me. If you go to NickDimadio.com slash contact or just hit the contact is on every single page. You can send me a note, say hello, ask me any questions you'd like. You get a newsletter a few times a month and... If you have a project of your own and need work done for it, whether it's audio editing or music or voiceover or graphic design, or if you have an event and you need live music, go to nickdomadio.com, contact me, say hello, let me know what you need. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. Crossfade, and we're back. Uh, so let's just get right into it. Cause you know, pretty heated about this and I'm actually having a lot of fun. Uh, this next section is, uh, I'm taking a cross section of artists to again, illustrate that there's no such thing as a heyday. So this is a very biased cross section. It's because rather than do days and days of research, uh, which I do kind of anyway, but again, patreon.com slash Music is not a genre is where you can support all the work I do for this. I, I felt like it would be easier for me to make my point if I just went with artists I already know, uh, in most cases. In most cases, in fact, these artists were covered in previous uh, MXG episodes, so go ahead and look them up. Uh, there were a couple where that weren't covered, and that, that's fun as well. So, first one, BGS. Uh, which was in my last week's episode because so many people commented on that that episode. Uh, you can refer to the Death is Dumb episode about them. Their perceived heyday for most people, 1970s. For another small percentage of people, 1960s. That's the perceived heyday. Here's my way of saying they didn't have one uh, or there's no such thing as one. They had a lot of success in the 1960s. A lot of hit singles. They had some critical acclaim. They they certainly had a lot of popularity. They made some touring money, of course, and they were super creative. The way their music changed from the beginning of uh, their first album and their previous first album, which wasn't in the States till the end of the 70s, was pretty incredible. And continue to be so. 1970s, uh, their creativity continued to expand. They got super, super popular, as many of us know. They got a ton of touring money, a ton, way more chart success, but overall less critical acclaim. Uh, You know, people forget that prior to Saturday Night Fever, there was a whole era where they were, you know, transitioning out of their kind of. Beatles esque stuff and their folk stuff into more R and B stuff and soul stuff, and there was a lot of success during that period as well, and a decent amount of critical acclaim. Uh, th- then their last uh, their last two albums were in 1997 and 2001. By the way, were more successful than anything else they did in the 80s, 90s, and even early 1970s. And I bring that up because people think of the 70s as their most successful period. 1980s. They, they kind of had lower on all five criteria until later in the decade when they started to come back, and that was because of the disco backlash. 1990s and beyond, hardly any popularity in the States, uh, expanding uh, creatively somewhat uh low sales yes in the in the states but kind of success everywhere else uh their tours were successful their press was successful and all that critics weren't paying a whole lot of attention but when you get to the 2000s and beyond especially after they started to die uh you know people the critics started to pay more attention and in retrospect they they got better critical reviews than they probably even did at the time even for their disco stuff so you know what I said, and I won't repeat all this because I said it in the Bee Gees episode, and I said some of it in the last week's episode, the catch up episode, and that is that they did quality work throughout their career, all the way up through their last album in 2001, and even the Robin's solo album and, and Barry's solo album after that, etc. cetera, uh, albums. And it's all worth exploring. And any. Bee Gees fan would know that anybody who defines the Bee Gees by the disco era or even by the 60s era has missed out on a lot and is giving them is shortchanging them really because their level of eclecticism and creativity just goes well beyond what you might think. So, yeah, in fact, in some ways, again, their heyday is more now than it's ever been. And that's a good point to make in that. I'm not talking about the Beatles, but I will say when I did the 60s, uh, the albums, uh, you know, uh, of the 60s episode, uh, I might've mentioned that the 60s never had an album of the year like the top selling album of the year. And that most of their sales and insane, like the best selling artists or whatever happened in the decades to come. So, I mean, you know, and reason why, of course, it's a dumb argument, duh, to say the Beatles, never have really had a heyday because they were just in the press for their last single and all that stuff. But again, I'm just saying, even in terms of sales, you know, it's deceptive. Uh, let's get to the next band Metallica again, did an episode on them. Uh, absolutely worth checking out their perceived heyday, the eighties and nineties for sure. Depending on what kind of fan you are, you're a fan of their more of their hardcore stuff or, uh, you're, you know, like thrash metal, whatever, or you're a fan of the more popular stuff in the nineties, the eighties, they had a core following. They had growing critical acclaim, didn't quite start out that way. They had decent touring money, but it was certainly not the, what they would have later on. They had some sales, but not a ton of sales for those albums at the time. Uh, but uh, high creativity, they kept morphing from album to album and adding in new things and honing really their first sound and then adding in new things. 1990s, more of everything uh their creativity went in different directions and it might not be as appealing to some people fans of the band but it was still there in many ways their reviews were more or less mixed throughout that decade and popularity can do that popularity uh can often not just fool us it can fool critics and this pisses me off about critics and that there are some you know snarky critics there always have been who believe that once a band is popular they're not good anymore. They're not good. And they may not even say that. They may just decide to give something a negative review simply because it's popular. And, uh, and they're only in the underground stuff or stuff before people are famous. I Screw you is what I say. Because uh, it's great that you can support lesser known artists, but to dismiss artists that have had success just because the, they're in the media is actually giving more power to the media and less power to the artists. So, you know, critics, uh, which side are you on? I mean, I guess if you're a journalist, you can be on either side because you can be very creative and part of the artistic community as a journalist, or you can be a real, you know, media whore. So I don't know. You have to answer that for yourself. Metallica 2000s of the present has been their most successful era for sales and for touring. The reviews have been mixed, but have generally grown. Their popularity did drop somewhat early on, but then grew like crazy to the point where they're almost at the level, honestly, of a of a u2 or a beetle or whatever where they where you can they can almost do no wrong in that sense uh their creativity started to settle into the the fuck you era and and i bring this up because someone um someone coined that, a listener or a viewer of mine on YouTube, but it's something I've talked about before. And In fact, one of the bands later on in my list uh, it is really where it dawned on me that when I've gone through these chronologies, especially for bands I wasn't a huge fan of, there were times where if the band lasted long enough, they went through their uh, you know, creative peak and their commercial peak. And then they started to lose commerciality or whatever. And the media stopped paying attention to them, but the fans might have. And then they were like, screw it. We're going to do whatever we want and get back to the core of what we love the most. Even if that includes new stuff that fuck you era has happened with a lot of artists. And it's a wonderful era because it ends up creating music that can often rival the music from their most popular period in terms of how good it is and how expansive and creative it is. And Metallica, I believe, certainly not, especially with 72 seasons... But even with like Saint Anger, people don't people don't like watch the Metallica episode. You'll get my opinions on all that. Uh, another one, and one in my news a lot recently is Duran Duran. A couple episodes on them. They're perceived heyday nineteen eighties and a bit in the early nineteen nineties. Yeah, they had a lot of success in the eighties, and they're often associated with that decade. But they had very little critical acclaim at the time. Nineteen nineties, they had a brief comeback and a little critical acclaim for that, but then a severe drop-off in both popularity and acclaim, even though I happen to think Madazzalan is one of their best albums from '97, I believe. Uh, 2000s didn't start strong for them. They were still kind of finding their way with personnel changes and sound changes, but they grew from that point on in that decade. Their touring was still strong. They still had their core followers, but they were out of any real spotlight and weren't attracting a ton of new followers. And yet... Each album, to me, was an improvement, both creatively and critically. Uh, 2010s to present, again, they, they got to that fuck you stage, thankfully. And I love that. All You Need Is Now is one of their strongest albums in, the, in their 40-plus year career at least as good as their earlier stuff, I think. They still weren't getting a lot of spotlight until very, very recently, but the critics were back on board. They started to get new fans, and touring would increase. So all of that has been growing and growing. I mean, shoot, Simon LeBlanc was on smartless, you know, so that's that's something, right? Uh, and so my question again to you is, what was durand Duran's heyday? Anybody who doesn't know them that well might say it's now, because they're they're, you know they're in the news a lot and their critics are talking about them, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there are ways in which I would say it was the 80s, or early 90s, because that's when I was a bigger fan of them. And then I listened to their catalog and I was like, oh, whoa, maybe it was the late 90s or the early 2010s or whatever, because they didn't have a heyday because there's no such thing as a heyday. Uh, one of my uh, personal pet favorites that I haven't done an episode on that I need to do and may do this season is The Kinks they were proto punks they were highly underrated for their innovation and their songwriting and their and their performance and the recording they're highly underappreciated their perceived heyday was the 60s and 70s for different reasons but but similar in the 60s they had brief album success at the start of the british invasion they had consistent singles throughout the hit singles throughout the decade uh, they had variable critical uh, success, but growing by the end of the decade for sure and certainly into the early 70s. They had some popularity, but, but ranking well behind the Beatles and the Stones and the Who, uh, you know, that British invasion and behind a lot of other non-British bands. And I'm sure they had touring numbers and whatever. 60s were a big decade for them but maybe not the biggest. The 70s came and they had more singles. Uh, Variable critical success. A lot of that started to dip in the middle of the decade as they went to more kind of like rock opera experimental stuff. But by the latter third of the decade, it would start to rise again. Uh, They weren't the darlings of the media or of the charts or anything like that, but they started to have a little bit more success, certainly in the early 70s. And then again, by the later 70s, and into the early 80s, when you know, Destroyer was a big song for, for me in school, a friend of mine who loved to sing that, paranoia, big destroyer, um, big hit single in 1983 was Come Dancing, and it was seen in a uh, way as a comeback for them, even though they'd always been around. That single was as high as their last peak single in 1985 in the US, Tired of Waiting, which I love that song, almost 20 years So what a career to be able to do that. They were back in the public eye. They were on MTV. They were back on the pop charts. They had variable reviews in the 80s, but mostly positive, especially early on. They did a ton of touring. And by the end of the decade, all that had fallen off. In the 90s, they didn't have much of a presence, so they ended up breaking up. But Brit pop bands cited them as a huge influence in the 90s, Oasis, and people like that. Uh, Varying reviews for their 90s work, but uh, but the critics who understood them saw uh, Ray Davies as one of the geniuses of songwriting. I mean, Pete Townsend said that, so it's got to be true, right? 2000s, the present, they didn't put out anything. The critics now mostly love them uh so what do you say about that again in hindsight the things that some critics trash there have been so many times when rolling stone and other you know and, and even pitchfork goddamn them uh have taken back have retracted previous reviews because at the time they were trashing something that ended up becoming iconic or influential or revered in some other way and i think that has happened often with the kinks and bands like the kinks So, again, no such thing as a heyday for them, even though Lola is awesome and all that stuff. American
0: Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Uh, Rush. Now, here's interesting. Never done an episode of them. Not even a huge fan. But I listened to their entire chrono- chronography at some point a couple of years ago. And they were one of the spurs that made me want to do this topic hands down because not knowing a lot about them what i loved was tom sawyer in that era and then nothing else cuz i just was not a fan and i went through this journey chronolog you know chronologically and uh, chronographia and found that They were the first band where I noticed, oh, it sounds like they got to a fuck you stage because they went through all these morphing and changes and finding a way and trying to incorporate new things or not. And then all of a sudden it just... Their music changed in a way that was like, oh, my God, this is what they should have been doing all along, you know, and it's because they just stopped caring about charts and stuff like that. Their perceived success in heyday was the 70s and early 80s. And of course, the 70s were big for them. They started out kind of mundane, kind of like a Led Zeppelin knockoff. It would grow quite a bit. And critics would say that. Mostly just had a cult following, and they had a lot of touring, but there were things that were popping to the surface. 80s, huge growth in popularity and respect, more touring, more sales. Creativity would take them uh, from, uh, you know, guitar prog to synth prog and even some pop-ish stuff pop ish uh from long music to very concise music the critical success was strong almost throughout the decade but by the decades end, not so much they were kind of losing their way creatively but uh but let me note that every album in the u.s from 1980 until their last one has been in the top 20 and most of them been in the top 10 1990s they started to get back their creative thread uh they were overcorrecting a little from the synth to kind of harder grungier stuff uh critics were not all in agreement about whether or not their stuff was great at the time most of the 90s they only had blips in popularity they weren't as popular as they were in the 80s mostly also touring until some of the tragedies in neil pert's life towards the end of that decade 2000s their fuck you stage is creeping in but not quite there yet uh, Snakes and Arrows got much stronger critical acclaim and lots of touring success. Their final album so far in the 2010s, and I say so far because there's rumors of a partial reunion. Of course, it's partial. Some of their best work ever in Snakes and Arrows and Clockwork Angels. That's when I dawned on me, wow, because I was I had a hard time getting through some of their stuff in the late 80s and 90s, not being a fan, and then getting to the 2000s and being like, this stuff is great. And if you stop listening to them, you missed out on it. And this is the whole point of this episode. And critics agreed it was great. And the fan base was sustained and growing in some ways. Not much in the media, but everything else. So, again, when was their heyday? I, I felt, because of the type of, you know, the tastes I have, that other than that late 70s, early 80s, which is a sweet spot for me for most music, that their heyday was actually the late O's and early 2010s. But again not true because they didn't have a heyday and like i said rush was the main impetus for this episode also one of the other big reasons i did this episode was liz fair which i did do an episode on her and please go check that out uh she's amazing and still is and always has been but you'll see why their perceived heyday was the 90s she's a 90s chick right a lot of critical acclaim then. A lot of cult success, but not a lot of chart success. High creativity. You can't take that away from her ever. I'm sure some touring success. White Chocolate Space Egg was the least well-received album of the 90s and my favorite. So that shows you that A, critics were trying to pigeonhole her and never really understood her and were probably misogynistic and, and B, you know, everything's subjective. It's honestly my favorite album of hers, White Chocolate Space Egg. Uh, 2000s got critically bashed because she ventured into pop songs. Her eponymous album was an example of a heart an artist ahead of her time. So many artists after would do what she was doing, which was power pop essentially and very empowered. Power pop. Even if lyrically it was all over the place in a great, great way, it would become the norm after her, but she had the unfortunate one of being one of the pioneers, you know, and getting trashed for it because she wasn't an indie darling anymore. And my God, I hate that. I find that album, that eponymous album, to be the biggest statement of her career, because it shows you can do that kind of music and still be creative. You know. Her follow-up uh oh five, Somebody's Miracle also underrated, I think. Yet she won actually more awards in the 2000s than she did in the 20 and in the 2010s than she did in the 1990s. So something was happening. 2010s to present didn't do that much, but creative expansion, I think more daring than ever. Fun style was trashed again by critics, but for a different reason, because it went everywhere. But that's near to my heart. It may not be my favorite album of hers, but the fact that she would do a little bit of hip-hop, a little bit of electronic, whatever, and just throw it all in there, that's what any artist should be able to do. And she was breaking the mold yet again, the way I talked about uh, in my previous episode. And then 2021, Soberish, her most recent album, absolutely amazing, and the critics agree finally everybody's on board she's back in the spotlight in some ways tour didn't happen i think but there's still you know there's whispers and things uh i think another again a different kind of creative peak kind of a fuck you stage to me and i think quite possibly her strongest creative phase is now so tell me when was her heyday i exile in guyville great whatever you know Uh, her eponymous album people hated it it was super successful more awards after that This recent album, one of her best, maybe her best. So again, no such thing as a heyday. Conclusions, Like likeless fair. Bands and genres considered ahead of their time often peak in sales and influence and popularity long after their assumed heyday. So we revisit artists who are like, why didn't I know this from the beginning? Because by the time we revere them, it's because so many other artists after that were influenced by them. And that delayed reaction is natural. We all have it most of us and uh and that's fine it gives time for people to absorb the new like how in my album part two of the 60s i illustrated that rock music was far from the bestseller during the 1960s but grew to be the bestseller in many ways in subsequent decades you know uh we think of the 60s as a rock era but in 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 ways it wasn't so was that the heyday no uh popularity and critical acclaim don't go hand in hand usually uh, they, every now and then yes and almost always after the fact um if if something is revered that much later on and that's why i met how, how there's so many magazines that revise their initial reviews because you know hindsight whatever uh bands who had big success but are so-called past their prime again, often get to this fuck you stage. That's a good conclusion to take from this. I think all of us should get there as artists as soon as possible. Uh, I've certainly gotten there and my Rex new album coming out this year, Kite to Camden, you're going to hear that, the lo-fi version of it. Uh, One thing, and I mentioned this early, we're always looking for divisions in society, uh, nationality, race, religion, gender, sexuality, and certainly in the arts and music, generational division. Uh, It serves the media to be sensational and to cause tension. It serves the people with money and power to cause us to say millennials are better than Gen Xers and Gen Xers are better than boomers and Gen Z is better than all of them or whatever. It's all bullshit because the cross-section of anything you take is pretty similar all the way around. And so let's stop looking for division and taking sides. And let's stop like swallowing the stories that we get that seem too facile, you know, that seem too pat. W- when music was better is a false statement, no matter how you're using it. Uh, I don't care how old or how young you are. There's never a time when music was quote unquote better, it's always been great and awful, um, you know. So all of you who say nothing good is being made right now, you, you need to, first of all, this, and if you're just listening, I'm giving a finger and I mean it, uh, but be self-aware enough to know that every generation has said nothing good is being made today. People in the 40s said that. And you're also shooting yourself in the foot by denying yourself the discovery of new music that you might love, whether it's new music from old artists or new music from new artists. Uh, and and uh, it's, again, why have no artists had a heyday because it's impossible almost for all five criteria to line up at once. It's kind of baked into the system that they don't. Very, very rare that that there's only one time where all five criteria line up. Every artist with any substantial following, not even 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 not superstars. It's not possible. Now, again, one album or one hit wonders or flash in the pan, um, you know, musicians, flash in the pan genres might have had a heyday because they only had one day. But, but here's the big but. And that's why I say there's no such thing. Those little like, oh, there was this one great album or they were together for two years or they had one hit or two hits always comes back at some point and when it comes back it's almost guaranteed that it's going to have more listens and sales than it did the first time around and more critical acclaim often so even those flashes in the pan really if you wait long enough there's no such thing as a heyday for them either in a personal note as a relatively unknown artist like i mentioned It's important to believe that various parts of a heyday can happen at any time and in any combo. It's what keeps me alive and doing new music all of the time. I've talked to other artists who stopped doing new music because their one album didn't sell the way they wanted to or they didn't get a label deal or they didn't whatever. They couldn't tour. I understand all that and it's frustrating and annoying. But for me, I got past all of those roadblocks over and over and over to the point where i'm like i'm creating music because it's all i ever want to do and i love it and hopefully you hear that when you listen to the song and the featured song is coming up soon this featured song is from my album uh the sunshine seminar and it's called different people it's the opening track on the album it's actually my highest streaming original song on spotify why i don't know no idea it's not my most popular original song across the board it's not my most popular song when you include covers and things like that songs from every one of my albums have charted somewhere on some streaming service and ha- and have been mentioned by people as that's my favorite song or whatever so i know i haven't had a heyday for so many reasons but, but particularly because if you look back on a career like mine or any long-term artist, you see that there, there are pockets of love and popularity and creativity all throughout. Uh, and, and, and that you'll see in the bonus episode on patreon.com slash music is not a genre, which is the outlier single phenomenon, uh, long-term artists who were past their prime, who had hit singles later on. Uh, check it out, Patreon.com/slash/music is not a genre. So, uh, before I get to the f- the featured song, which you're going to hear in a second, which is about how it's it's a funky song with some electronics in there and a bass line that is triple layered. It's really the really impetus for the song. There's some mumbling in there, and that's where the start of the song came from. Me mumbling as I was walking through the zoo when I worked at the zoo, and it's about uh, how uh, relationships can falter because you realize that you're different people. Uh, and it's pretty acerbic. Do you agree with my assessments in this episode? How do you define a heyday? Do you define it like the dictionary? Do you have your own definition? Do you have your own criteria? What artists do you think did or are still doing better work than when they were the most popular or most beloved by critics? Are there any artists and genres you think did have a heyday? And I'm wrong about that. I want to hear what you think And if I'm wrong, or if you agree with me, because as always, my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. Thank you so much for hanging with me, and I will talk to you next week.
0: Achieve the American dream. The big house. The happy family. The money. What's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. My mom is dead. My mom right there. From Airship.